When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. We are in episode 20 of Exodus, God's Great Rescue. We are in chapter 9 of the book of Exodus. And uh, where we left off yesterday is we were on the plagues. Do you remember the plagues? First plague is blood, right? You've got a bloody knee. Sitting on your bloody knee is a frog. So you have the plague of frogs. And then you have one for each eye. You've got gnats and flies. Uh, And then you have livestock surrounding you. So that's the one two, three, four, that's the first five plagues, is that. Uh, and then we are going to go into the next five plagues. And the first four plagues really don't kill you. Now, the fifth plague, the plague of livestock, that's a pretty serious plague because without livestock, you don't live very long. You might go, whatever, you know, how much fat you have on you um, or whatever other food you can have. I mean, the livestock plague is going to hit hard. It hits in the pocketbook. That one's no fun. And so now we're into plague number six. And so we will just start reading in Exodus chapter nine, beginning in verse eight. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from a furnace and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt, and festering boils will break out on people and animals throughout the land. So they took soot from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it into the air, and festering boils broke out on people and animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and on all of the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said to Moses. So this is the this is the plague of boils. And I don't know how to um yeah, I don't this will be interesting, the plague of boils. Because we could picture boils coming out on the livestock. We could put, picture a cauldron that's a boiling cauldron that's sitting in front of you. So you have the livestock and then you have the cauldron um that gets placed in front of you. That might that might be a kind of a fun one. Um, because of the other ones. Man, we'll think about that. Now, this one's interesting. This, like, the plague of, was it the plague of flies or gnats? No, Moses put his staff in the ground, and the dust came up, and the d- dust turned into gnats. It was gnats. And um, now this one, Moses is doing soot from the furnace. Remember, there's three interpretations. One is it's literal, like the soot goes on everybody and it, and it gives them these boils. The second one is, you know, is there a, a scientific explanation for this? Or the third one is, is this just a, uh, you know, just a, a, a story, a, you know, a, a kind of a fairy tale. The, um, the, but there is, it is interesting, depending upon what was being cooked in the furnace, there are things, there are acids, right? When we burn fossil fuels out of our power plants, the soot goes up into the air, and sometimes that soot will travel over into areas like the rainforest, and you will get, um, so, you know, you'll get sulfuric acid that uh, can can ruin the rainforest. I mean, this one is not too hard to believe that there could be something in the furnace 
Like, I'm not entirely sure what the Egyptian empire was doing with furnaces back then, whether it was copper or bronze or, or whatever, but it is not hard to believe that there may have been some residue in the furnace that when they throw it into the air, that it could have reached people and given them boils. And depending upon how many furnaces were activated and all that sort of thing, I mean, it certainly wouldn't be out of the question to think that this soot could have something in it that was problematic, that was causing boils. So that one's, that was kind of interesting. Um, but the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. So apparently the boils went on everybody. I don't know if it went on Moses, but it went on everybody else. Um, I don't know if Moses got it on his hands. Um, but obviously it's also possible that Moses throws up the soot and then God takes the soot and puts it on everybody and causes these boils to happen. But that's the third plague, the plague of boils. And then, of course, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. So I think I'll do that. I think I'll do a cauldron. So you have the knee that's skinned, the frog on the knee, the gnat, the fly, the livestock around you, and then in front of you is a cauldron that's boiling. And so now you have the plague of boils, which is the sixth plague. And then we go into the seventh plague which is the plague of hail. And so we begin reading on Exodus 9, chapter 9, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of Hebrews, says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people. So you may know that there is no one like me on the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off of the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. So this is kind of a prologue to this this plague. And God has a point here. He says, like, if I wanted to wipe you out, I would wipe you out. Um, this is like, uh, this is like, oh, this is a terrible analogy, but let's say you were going to try to do espionage and you capture somebody and you want to get information from them. And so you start to torture them. This is a horrible analogy because you should never torture anybody for information. But if you, if this is happens, you want to torture them. So there's pain, but you don't want to kill them. Right. This is, this is kind of what God is saying. It's like, I'm going to torture you, but I'm not going to kill you. Why doesn't he want to kill them? I mean, why not just kill them? And then, then, then the slaves could leave. I mean, th- that wouldn't be a problem at all. The problem is that if the slaves left and there were no Egyptians left to tell the story, who would tell the story? I mean, the Israelites could say, hey, God, deliver us out of slavery in Egypt. And he's like, yeah, where's the, where are the people that are going to tell you that story? So God says, I got to keep the Egyptians alive. I can't destroy them. I can't create genocide, right? Um, I can't destroy the whole entire population. I'm just going to give them pain and keep increasing the pain level until they finally let Moses and the people go. Um, pretty, Pretty devastating when you think about it, but God sometimes does devastating things to get his will done. And um, this is... This is one of the things he does. And it's not fair. It's not fair to the Egyptians that Pharaoh's heart is hardened and that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But if you think about it, God puts all the pieces of the chess board together and he moves them around. How he's going to move them around, 
He does what he's going to do. He allows evil to happen when he allows evil to happen. He stops evil when he wants to stop evil. But ultimately, everything in this world is kind of under the control of God. He's completely sovereign. And he does what he's going to do, but he does it for his great plan. And that's just the hard thing that we have to understand. So that's the, that's the pro, prologue to this plague of hail. He says, I could have killed you, but that would not have served my purposes. But, um, but we're going to see what God continues to do. So we're going to go to Exodus 9, verse 18. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded till now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field and they will die. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky so that hail will fall all over Egypt, on people and animals and on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. So this is reminiscent to uh, the ark, the flood, where God saves some people but doesn't save other people. And the people that aren't saved are those that uh, scoffed at uh, Noah and said, you know, what are you doing? This is a stupid thing. There's no reason to build this ark. And so all of those people perished. If you believed in the fact that God could send this plague, believed in the testimony of Moses, and brought your animals and your family into shelter, then you would not get killed by this hailstorm. If you ignored Moses and just left everybody else out, then this hailstorm apparently was going to kill you. There was nothing you could do about it. Now, this plague... We've seen this one in nature all the time, right? We see this one in creation. Have you ever been in a hailstorm? Um, I was in one hailstorm that kind of put some dents uh, in the car. Um, it was a major, major, major hailstorm. Th those things are pretty nasty, um, particularly when it's golf ball-sized hail or, or snowball-sized hail. Those things are really, 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 really bad. Um, we don't get them that much. We do get hail here in Vail, the Vail hail. Um, we'd get bigger hail sometimes when we lived in Denver. I don't think I ever got hail when I lived in uh, Missouri, Missouri, as they call it. Um, but um, this this plague, this one we can all understand. This is like earthquakes and hailstorms and tsunamis. These types of things still happen in the earth today. And we try to protect our population from these things. Now we have better shelters and we have cars and people aren't outside. But if you were outside, like if I was on a morning walk and I was far away from anything and a hailstorm hit, I would definitely try to go underneath a tree or something to protect myself from the hailstorm. But I might not be able to protect myself. But in Egypt, when this happened, if you did not have a place to protect yourself, it was going to be pretty nasty be a very, very, very bad hailstorm. The biggest one ever in Egypt. And it's going to kill people. It must have been, I don't know, what, what size, maybe maybe baseball-sized hail, maybe softball-sized or grapefruit-sized or 
I mean, who knows what size hail it was, but it was apparently it was going to just hail everywhere and it would basically kill anybody outside. So Moses says, or God says to Moses, stretch out your hand and um, let's see what happens. Um, they brought their slaves in, but those who didn't or brought their things. When Moses, this is beginning in verse 23. When Moses stretched out his staff towards the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all of the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both people and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. So it appears that this particular hailstorm is the straw that broke the camel's back. And you wouldn't be able to go under a tree as we read this to get yourself away from the hailstorm because apparently the hail stripped away all the branches from the tree. I mean, like there's no, literally no place to get away from this thing. If you're outside, you were going to get killed. And Pharaoh looks out of the land and sees all the people in misery dying by being pelted by hail. And he finally breaks down and says, okay, we've had enough. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. Do you think that's going to do you think that's going to last? Well, let's see. Verse 29. Moses replied, "When I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in power and prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop and there will be no more hail. So you may know that the Lord is the Lord's, that the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. The flax and barley were destroyed since the barley had headed and the flax was in bloom." The wheat and the spelt, however, were not destroyed because they ripened later. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out of the city. He spread out his hands towards the Lord. The thunder and hail stopped and the rain no longer poured down on the land. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. So how many times, how many plagues do they have to go through before they finally believe and realize that God has power over everything and that it is not prudent nor wise to go against God? When God tells you to do something, you should do it. This is the lesson that Pharaoh should learn, and he's not. He sees the miracles, he believes it for a time, but then as soon as the pain is stopped being inflicted, he will not let the Israelites go. Is this just not so true? <sighs> Sometimes you have to inflict a lot of pain. It, the, the, what are the theological implications of this? Like if God wants you to do something, does he allow pain to come into your life to force you to do something? Is that part of the reason? I mean, God is good. God loves us. He does not cause evil for evil's sake, but he does allow evil sometimes to happen. He allows tsunamis to happen. 
He allows pandemics to happen. He allows earthquakes to happen. He allows hail to happen. Um, maybe, maybe you have lost something or lost someone in your life because of something that you're completely attributing to God. And you, you're angry at God and you say, God, I don't know why you allowed this to happen in my life. And there are times when God does allow evil to happen and we get angry at God. The question is, do we learn from it or are our hearts hardened from it? And I would say that there is a vast majority of people today who have turned their back on God and have hardened their hearts against God because they see evil in the world and they do not turn back to God when evil happens. And then there are others when they see evil in the world, they turn closer to God and they cling to God, knowing that God is clinging to them. And their faith grows stronger and their ability to withstand evil gets stronger. That is kind of what I see in this Exodus story, right? Um, when evil happens, there's two ways to go about it. One is turning closer to God and drawing to him. And the other is turning away from God and walking away from him. And evil happens in this world. We know that God allows evil to happen in this world. So it's going to happen. At some time, everybody's going to see evil. And evil happened because of us, right? We, as mankind, caused the earth to become unstable, to become filled with pain and suffering. And so, therefore, we ultimately are the cause of evil on this earth. We sinned. It's not God. We don't put that mask on God. We say God is a loving and, and caring God. But we know that evil exists. Ultimately, it's our fault. But when evil happens, what do you do with it? Like, And to me, and we've talked about this a little bit, I've never been an atheist. Well, yeah, I never really have been an atheist. I've I've never believed that God doesn't exist. I, I, don't, I don't see how that's possible. I believe that God exists because I see beauty of creation. I see order to creation. I see the beauty of, of the world. I see the, the incredible power of grace to overcome evil. And I've seen how Jesus, who came on this earth and shared nothing but grace and love, and sacrificed himself as the final perfect offering to you know to wind to draw into himself all the pain and the evil and the suffering of the world onto him so that we could move forward in a in a life where we know that evil has been dealt with ultimately on the cross and that someday we will live eternally with God without evil i mean that just makes sense to me that how in the world do you do you have grace overcomes evil. Grace overcomes evil every single time. I, I know that people think that evil, you know, more evil overcomes evil. That if you've got evil in the world, you know, if two, if two countries are fighting, you have to escalate, you know, you have to keep doing more and more things. But the, who was it that said, uh, was it Nietzsche that said, don't, you know, don't become, a as you're fighting monster, don't let the, the, let the monster become you, Right. Um, and that's that's the biggest question about evil is how how do we fight evil in this world? And so we escalate and we escalate and we escalate. But we know that the only, according to Jesus, the only way to overcome evil is grace, love, joy, peace, 
the the great the the fruit of the spirit those things will overcome evil they may not overcome all the battles of this world but they will overcome evil um pharaoh when the pain was inflicted he did not stop um I mean, he, he turned to God when the pain was there, but when the pain was released, then he turned his back away from God and hardened his heart. He just would not, would not do what God wanted him to do. How many of us are like that? We'll just continue reading one last part. Uh, no, we're, we're going to go to chapter 10. No, that's probably a good, uh, that's a good, uh, that's a good place to stop it for now because uh, this is the prologue to the next, pro- prologue to the next plague. So I think we'll leave it to that. So now let's review the plagues. Work with me. Skinned knee, blood on the knee. That's blood in the waters and blood in the Nile. Sitting on the knee is the frog. That was the plague of frogs everywhere. Then you have two eyes of the frog. On the left eye, you have, uh, I don't know, what um, on the left eye is the gnat. On the, le- on the right eye is the fly. The gnats swarm, so that's the... Uh, that was the one with the dust where, where uh, Moses stuck his rod into the dust. So you have the gnat, then you have the flies. And then surrounding you as you're sitting there is all the livestock. They're looking at you. That's the camels, the goats, the sheep, um, the camels, the uh, all the livestock are now the cattle are facing you. So that's one, two, three, four, five plagues. Then the sixth plague is sitting in front of you is a cauldron. It's boiling over. Um, and so that was the plague of boils, and that's the dust from the soot from the oven that goes out, and that causes the boils on you. And then the last plague, what is the last plague? It's hail. So what we have to visualize now is that coming down into the cauldron is hail into the cauldron. All right? So that gives us one, two, three, four, five, six, seven plagues. We now have seven plagues. Um, if you can just visualize that, that will get you to the seven plagues. Uh, knee, frog, gnat, fly, livestock, cauldron, hail, falling into the cauldron. Um, and then we'll get to the next plague uh, at our next episode. So um, by the end of this, you'll know all the plagues and you'll be able to repeat them. I might come up to you and say, hey, tell me the 10 plagues and I'll know. <laughs> so we'll see. All right, so um, we'll leave it at that. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Gracious God, for the blessings of this day, we thank you. Um, Lord, we sometimes know that you allow bad things to happen, but that even in the midst of that, uh, it has the power because of your grace and your love to draw us closer to you and be redeemed because of you. Be with us for the rest of this day and until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.